Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. On Commons People This Week. It is an attempt to undermine our exit from the European Union. Infamy, infamy, they've all got it infamy, Brexiteers cry. This is a cover-up. Mr. Speaker, pure and simple, and it stinks. Oh, we do love a good cover-up. And who said honour is dead in politics? I'm thoroughly ashamed at not being in my place, and therefore I shall be offering my resignation to the Prime Minister. All of this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's politics podcast. With me, Owen Bennett, and this week I'm joined by Ned Simons. Hello, Ned. Hello. I'm joined by Kate Forrester. Hello. And I'm joined by... No, Paul War isn't here. Oh. He's in China, so... Uh, what are we doing, guys? Because <laughs> we can just do what we want, right? Go rogue. Without Paul here, what should we talk about? Anything we want, I suppose. Uh, politics? Still- I guess, shall yeah, we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You up for that? Go on, go okay, on. right, yeah. let's crack on, shall we? So let's talk about the Brexit leak, because um, another news-providing website... Got, let's be honest, a really good scoop this week, which was a leaked uh, Brexit impact assessment. We're not quite allowed to call it that. Which basically some civil servants have modelled different scenarios for a post-Brexit trading arrangement. Now, they all showed economic growth, but they all showed the ep- economic growth would be less than if we stayed mm. in the EU. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. Um, let's have a listen to uh, Ian Duncan-Smith, who dismissing this leaked document. It's an incomplete report. The government itself has damned it. And I think, therefore, we should just push it to one side and say, yet another report, not complete, not overseen by the government. Ministers have clearly not evaluated this report yet. Therefore, we should say, look, it's deliberately leaked because it gives a bad view. And therefore, uh, we should just put it on one side and say, look, leave it alone. And that was very much the line the Brexiteers took. Steve Baker, who has had an absolutely <laughs> mad one this week, what comes that later on. Here's him in the column in the comments. Uh, first up, we're going to hear uh, Tory MP uh, William Ragg ask him a question and listen to his answer. Could my honourable uh, friend, the excellent minister, um, name me a single civil service forecast, leaked or otherwise, that has been accurate? Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, no, I am not able to, um, to name an accurate forecast and I think that they are always wrong and good, wrong for good reasons. Steve Baker there claiming that all government <laughs> forecasts should be ignored, which is going to be really interesting next time Philip Hammond gives a budget that says that growth is forecast. Um, Labour, of course, were furious about all this kind of stuff. Here is Chris Leslie. It is a right of the public to know about their livelihoods and their future, and for the government not to publish this is deeply irresponsible and dishonest. This is a cover-up, Mr Speaker, pure and simple, and it stinks. And there was, of course, anger on the Tory benches as well. Here is Antoinette Sandbach. Is that right, Ned? Yeah. Excellent, good. Uh, Saying that she needs this information in order to represent her constituents properly. Quite frankly, Minister, I take exception to being told that it's not in the national interest for me to see a report that allows me to best represent my constituents. 
Parliament needs access to the best possible information on which to base our decisions. Now, yesterday, on Wednesday, the government uh, decided that, despite Theresa May saying that releasing these incomplete draft studies would mm. undermine our no- negotiating position, did not oppose Labour when Labour put before the House a motion to get these papers released. So MPs are going to get to see them. It's, yeah. I, I, I mean, there's so much <laughs> think, to talk about with these, isn't there? I, can we, I want to start with Steve Baker. Let's start with Steve Baker. Because... because yeah. Let's we, give a little bit of background on Steve Baker first. Yeah. So Steve Baker... Um, is a hardcore Brexiteer who said that he was always mm. motivated to go into politics by David Cameron's speech in the Czech Republic in about <laughs> 2007 <laughs> when he said the EU needed to basically be reformed. And this made Steve Baker a former... That speech launched many a political exactly, career. A former, yeah. serving the RAF, was also a banker, um, joined Parliament. And he's a hardcore Brexiteer. And he was chair, before he became a Brexit minister, of a group called the European Research Group of Tory MPs who were like... Mm. The real hardline Tory Brexiteers. Jacob Rees-Mogg chairs it now, so that's that's yeah. where they are on the spectrum. He's got a niche, hasn't he? He's, I think it's fair <laughs> yeah. to say Steve Baker has a certain worldview. Mm. So Ned, talk us through Steve so, Baker. I was going to say that kind of the three of us have all watched a lot of kind of Commons debates and urgent questions and statements. And Steve Baker, the other day, might have been one of the most extraordinary I've seen because not only was did he say that all government economic forecasts are always wrong yeah always always so in the past and in the future so we should ignore (laughs) the leak because it doesn't that that it's wrong in about 10 minutes later he then defended brexit by saying that the same forecasts which are always wrong which are always wrong showed still showed economic growth in all the scenarios which he said was wrong it, I don't. I just. Was, I couldn't even. I and he kept doing yeah, it. I'm gonna call this the Baker Doctrine. The Baker Doctrine now, and this is not like Tom Baker, Doctor Who. This is Steve Baker Doctrine. <laughs> that forecasts are always wrong unless they show something that you like. It's that apparently is a subclause of the doctrine, right? Okay, you watched the debate today. Uh, <laughs> yes. Keep, keep us up. To, up <laughs> bring us up to date <laughs> with Steve Baker's latest musings. So, um, Jacob Rees-Mogg today asked Steve Baker if it was true that he had been told that civil servants in the Treasury had been deliberately skewing analyses to show that that every scenario except staying in the customs union is bad, basically. Um, and Rees-Mogg said, can he confirm that, you know, this... Um, this goes against the spirit of our independent civil service? And Steve Baker said, yes, he's sorry to say that that was correct um, and that it was a very serious allegation. Um MPs on the opposite benches started sort of getting quite angry about this accusation. Because calling then, into question the impartiality of the civil service exactly. is quite a thing for Minister to do, right? And then you can you can see you can actually see David Davis wince in the background <laughs> when he says and it. If you make David Davis yeah. wince, yeah, then which it's is a pretty bad. Rum deal, yeah. So Baker then quickly backpedals and says he wasn't saying that the allegation was correct, he was just saying that it was put to him. So but it's also very, very serious. It's a rumour of a rumour of a rumour. <laughs> mm. Uh, he's a bit freewheeling at the moment, Baker, isn't he? Yeah, but um, seems to be fine and getting away with it. And also remember that the allegation that economic forecasts are wrong is totally in tune with what David Davis thinks. He said the same thing roughly at a select committee, I think in December, when he said, I don't trust economic forecasts, they're always wrong. Uh, so he's actually, not going against what his boss thinks. Um, the guy from the OBR, when the OBR was first sort of launched to look into, you know, as, a, mm. as an independent body looking at government economic growth, uh, Jeremy Patterson said to him in a Newsnight interview, 
but these things are always wrong. Mm. And Robert Shote said, Robert Shote said, yeah, they are. But I think that's he said, yeah, <laughs> this time next year, this probably could be wrong. So I, actually, there is a yeah. there is a legitimate argument to this. I think right? Baker has, to be fair to him, a fair point that he can say. Look, we make these forecasts, and they're often wrong. The, the main thing I think that irritated was me was him then deploying the same forecasts to say, but they show there'll be growth under any circumstance. So kind of pick pick one. Hmm. If you think they're always wrong, don't then use them in your own arguments about why Brexit's going to be a good idea. Just say, these are always wrong, we don't know, so this is, you know... I and actually, the, the idea that they're always wrong, it's not that they're always wrong, it's that they're always slightly inaccurate. So it's very rare that you you predict growth and then there's no growth. Hmm. It's the growth isn't as high yeah. as you predicted, or you've predicted it to be higher, all that kind of stuff, right? So Baker could have legitimately said, well, actually, if you look at these these analysis, they show that economic growth will continue mm. outside the EU, even on WTO rules, just not as high as what yeah. the OBR predicts. And mm-hmm. also, I thought it was interesting, in these leaked documents that kind of looked into different Brexit deals, the one thing they didn't look at, apparently, was actually the deal the government says it wants. Good. Kate, can you talk me through the deal the government wants, please? Oh, my God. What? <laughs> Of course I can't. Exactly. <laughs> no one knows. So they can't do a modelling of it yeah. because no one, no, it's not written down anywhere the exact deal they want, is it? No, Other than it's just not. a deep and special partnership. I feel How do you like... put that into a, a numbers a thing? Freewheeling, buccaneering. Yeah. Yeah. Madness. Model that, civil service. But one person... So Baker escaped censure and discipline on this, right? Baker, the government did not call him in and say, look, can you stop having a go at the civil servants, please? One person who did get called in for the whips and had a go at was uh, Dr. Philip Lee, uh, Justice Minister, someone that Paul War, God rest his soul, has always said, keep an eye out on because he is someone who, you know, is not quite, you know, he, he will speak his own mind, <laughs> right. is what he's saying, right? And he tweeted this week about this leak. Uh, we can't just dismiss this and move on. Um, and there could be a serious question over whether a government could legitimately lead a country along a path that the evidence and rational consideration indicate would be damaging. He then says, it's time for evidence, not dogma, to show the way. And we must act in the country's best interest, not ideology and populism. The chief whip pulls him in and says, look, don't say that whoa, stuff whoa, whoa. out loud. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I this do not nonsense. want this government to be led. People think this government's <laughs> being led by evidence and dogma. So it's quite funny that the guy who says... Listen to the evidence, not dogma. Is called in and said basically he's not. He's sort of for saying it out loud, right? Yeah. But it does certainly this weekend. For example, I spoke to a lot of Tory MPs after this weekend. There was a lot of attacks mm. on Philip Hammond, Nadine Doris saying he should be sacked, Jacob Rees-Mogg sort of going rogue and trying to tie the Prime Minister's hands on Brexit a bit. And there is a perception that these MPs can go out and say what they want, and then the other MPs on the other side get sort of told off. Someone said we're entering Lord of the Flies environment now, where there's no discipline at all. Mm. Is I, that is that accurate? Um, well, Philip Lee hasn't deleted his tweets. No, I'm reading them right now. Yeah, Twitter feed. which which is handy. Um, so I don't, I don't know if that is accurate. Um, but it does seem like it does seem, as you say, like the likes of Dorries and Reese Mogg are kind of getting away with with saying whatever they like. I mean, Steve Baker, whether somebody's going to intervene about what he said about the civil service, we don't know because as we record, he's only just said it. I feel like that's quite a serious allegation that probably should be addressed. But didn't he row back quickly enough by he saying, did I, I, row heard back. The, I heard the story, I'm not saying I agree with it, 
like heard the story. He did. That's true. But then Rhys Mogg has also basically suggested it as well. And I don't think there's going to be. Yeah, I mean, do you think we need to distinguish between perhaps government, what government ministers say, yeah. and what yeah. backbenchers say? Because exactly. I think it's right to say Nadine Doris has very strong pro-Brexit views, um, Anna Subri on the Remain side gave a very strong speech in the Commons yesterday, where she accused the so-called hard Brexiteers of trying to destroy the party. Mm. So I think there's balance in right. terms of the the volume from both sides on the backbenches. It's more, I guess, about the is there an imbalance within government? You know, is a is a pro Brexit minister perceived to be allowed to say more things off script, um, mm. like Boris, etc., than the Remain ones? That's, That's maybe the argument. Bor- Boris goes up and says mm. what he wants, and actually, to be fair, but so does Hammond. F- exactly, mm. Philip Hammond yeah. in front of Lords Treasury Committee, mm. uh, Lords um, Economics Committees, saying how terrible it's going to be outside the customs union. Yeah. They're queues all the way back to Newcastle from mm. Dover, that kind of stuff. And the trouble he got in last week for talking about a modest Brexit, he then the next day doubled down on it, so mm. we want a middle way. So, so actually, everyone is... Yeah, is, I think everyone's doing it, and each side thinks the other side is getting away with it. Right. Mm. But I must just say that when the European Research Group were invited in for a meeting with Chief Whip Julian Smith on Tuesday to discuss matters, Julian Smith served them cake. What kind, what of, kind of cake? Victoria Sponge. <laughs> Literally served the Victoria Sponge, which someone who was in the meeting told me looked homemade. So you've <laughs> literally got the chief whip baking cakes for what? some of the most potentially rebellious people in the place. What, it's what, a strange what? approach to discipline, isn't what it? What cake are you making, Anna Subri? That's like, you need <laughs> yeah, to balance yeah. it out. Definitely like, not Victoria Sponge. What, what kind of cake would you make? Oh, oh it'd be like a lemon, bitter lemon kind of thing. Oh, <laughs> I reckon. I reckon she'd go for carrot cake. It's quite classy. Should we put an Carrot order cake in? is classy. Yeah. yeah, tweet us. Tweet us your views. Yeah, what yeah. cakes would you serve different people? <laughs> um, <laughs> Next week's quiz. This, but is this their having their cake and eat it policy? Oh, God. Hey. Oh, hey. Hey. Like you, you set your own joke up. A really long. It's very very well done. So as you said, Mr. Paul War um, is in China. Mm-hmm. Hasn't stopped him emailing us a lot, has it? Or no. The time difference does not stop Paul War from uh, messaging us. It just, it just means we get to wake up in the morning <laughs> to a stream of uh, stream that? of early hours messages. It's just great. The full way to the Chinese state is not going to stop Paul <laughs> filing a story, is it? It's, uh, it's, it's impossible. Not, it's really not. But he has been getting some good gear over there in terms of stories. <laughs> and one of the ones he got was Theresa May, who is um, having a little bit of a tinker with um, the migrant policy post-Brexit, she's saying that migrants who come after March 2019 will not have the same rights or the same processes almost mm. as migrants who come before them from the EU under the sort of freedom of movement rules. That's to be expected, isn't it? I mean, Brexit, I mean, her point is, if you come after that time, you know we're leaving the EU, so... Yeah, I, th- it is. I think it is to be expected, but that doesn't mean it isn't a massive sticking point between what she wants and what Brussels wants. Because EU don't want that, do they? As, as I understand no, it, they want, it they want the same rules. Yeah. And does it come down to this weird technical difference between what an implementation period is and what a transition period mm. is? And that's kind of the fight that Jacob Rees-Mogg was having, which is after 2019, are we slowly like we're moving towards leaving and things are changing, or is it all the same? And, and then, then, then we, then, apart from the ability to negotiate trade yeah. deals, and that's the big fight, I suppose, inside the Tory Party, and also I guess between May and um, and the EU. It's also going right? to spook. Yeah, I think I think that is right. I think it's also going to spook <laughs> I feel like we a lot be of more um, definitive yeah, in our analysis yeah. <laughs> for a podcast about politics. Yes, it's right. Thank you, Kate. Hundred cool. percent. Good. Um, I was going to say it's spook. It's going to spook a lot of industries. I think the NHS is going to be worried by that, and agriculture mm. and hospitality and stuff. Who are all already saying we're going to face massive problems with recruitment and you know having enough people to actually do the jobs. 
Um, and I don't think that's going to do much to ease their minds. I mean, the EU this week did release their sort of transition implementation period guidelines. Mm. Um, and one of the things they said was, you know, um, laws that are passed during that time by the EU should be adhered to mm. by Britain, but they're not going to have any say over the laws. David Davis wants, he said in a speech last week, that he wants some kind of mechanism for this. But he also said, don't worry about it, cause it takes more than two years yeah. for us to pass anyway, so we well, don't, we don't I, need I, to use it. I kind of feel David Davis in that speech said that there will be an argument about it, but I kind of feel that wasn't him saying we're going to win it. It just, it, it looked a bit like he, speaking to a domestic audience, to the Brexiteers and the party saying, look, we don't want this, we're going to have a fight about it, but I wonder how big an actual fight they'll he'll have and he'll put up. Because, like you said, he initially said, well, it doesn't matter because it takes them two years to bring in new rules anyway. Mm. Just quickly, PMQs. Uh, we had the B team this week. We had Emily Thornbury in the, in the Labour corner and we had David Liddington representing those Tories. Of course, the most imp- interesting was the Robin that was flying around the Commons chamber during PMQs. Can we talk about the pigeon? <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, listener, whatever, listen, just Kate's going to tell us a pigeon story very quickly. I uh, I saved a pigeon this week. It was great. It was stuck in some net at the top of uh, top of our building. So I called the RSPCA and they couldn't get it down. So they called the fire brigade. It was amazing. Good. No right. humans okay. were harmed so, in the process. Uh, before he- people start moaning. Hearing that story has harmed me a little bit. It's back to PMQs, <laughs> right? What do we make of it? Because we thought I thought Emily Thornbury didn't do very well. I thought that her arguments on lowering the voting age to sixteen. I thought David Lindsay had really good comebacks on it, saying, well, when Labour in power, you raise the age, you get a sunbed to 18. So, you know, what point do you want people to be an adult? And then at the end, Lindsay said, we say, grow up. Yeah. Mm. And it was just like, mate, what are you... <laughs> this is not a good look. Right? That was actually no. quite an un-Liddington sort of thing to do because mm. he's quite a calm, reasonable, well-liked man. I, I don't know if the kind of atmosphere kind of got to him a bit in PMQs, very raucous. Yeah, that, that was a bit off off colour, the, the grow up bit. Mm. Um, I think you're right that Lindsay's arguments back, it was interesting actually, there was kind of a discussion about the policy, yeah. which is weird for PMQs. That never they, happened. It never happened. And it was interesting to actually see a debate mm. about the issue with both sides having perfectly, I think, reasonable arguments yeah. on each other's side. I think the optics of it, to use that horrible political word, I think the reason Thorme would have done it is it just places her on the side of the young mm. of the future. All the arguments aside, it's a much simpler message to say to young people, we support you having the vote. Because I guess even if you, by definition, if you were appealing to 16-year-olds who can't vote, kind of what's the point? Because they can't vote, right? Mm. But what they can do is knock on doors and deliver leaflets for you. Mm. And if you can if you can say to 16, 17-year-olds, get us in and we'll give you the vote, actually, it's in some ways, it's quite a smart little little narrative to have isn't it because it helps inspire people to come and join you and get unlocked doors is that, is that is that the right thing to think yeah completely and i think it's where the tories are struggling isn't it they're struggling very much to offer anything to young people um and labor's sort of got the incentive sewn up with that i think so this feeds into the narrative doesn't it that they don't care about young people and exactly really yeah and thornby also went um a few questions about female representation in parliament pointing out i forget the number that she said you know there's only been one emily but 20 David, I think she said. No, 100. Was 100 yeah, yeah, so, yeah. and you know, the picture you had Thornbury flanked by two female shadow cabinet ministers on the Conservative side. They made the mistake that some, well, it doesn't happen when May's there, obviously, but there was Liddington. He was flanked by two male cabinet ministers. There was only one woman in shot on TV if you watch right. PMQs mm. on the Conservative side. So I think that how it came across, the, the contrast was quite, was quite well done by Thornbury and Labour, I think, yesterday. But it always gives 
the Tories the chance to say, well, how many leaders have you had? How many, sorry, how many female leaders have you had? Yeah. How many female prime ministers have you had? And Labour haven't got a comeback on that. But, like, or have they? You know? Well, I thought I thought Thornbury sort of set him up for that. I think she knew that yeah. Lyndon would say, oh, well, we've had two female prime ministers, you've had none. But her immediate response was, well, why are you trying to get rid of her then? Yeah. And I think that was quite mm. a good answer in the moment. It doesn't answer the broad question of why haven't you had a female leader? But in the moment, it was quite a good comeback. I felt she deliberately led Lyddington into. Yeah, and also the I'm the first Emily that's been elected yeah. since 1918 was very good as well. Do you know how many thought. Edmunds there are? I was going to say, because Edmunds is your real name, isn't it? Yeah, Go ten. ten? Names. There's a lot of Edmunds. Stop ruining this week's quiz. <laughs> <laughs> Ever been any Neds in there? I don't know. Didn't How many places have there been? There's, there's some now, isn't there? There is there's some. quite a lot, Owens, actually. There's like Owen Smith and Patterson. Patterson. Owen Patterson. Broke his back this week. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. A bit sad. Did he? Yeah, Phil Horse broke two oh, vertebrae. No. So, and he's a big listener to the show. Oh, Pats, listen, mate. Uh, get well soon, bruv. Mm. Now, there was a rare moment this week in Parliament of someone acting like with true like responsibility for their actions, and that was Lord Bates. <laughs> Um, this is the clip of Lord. I mean, it's so much. Have a listen to the clip. Here we go. For my sincere apologies to Baroness Lister for my discourtesy in not being in my place uh, to answer her question on a very important matter uh, at the beginning of questions. During the five years at which it's been my privilege to answer questions from this dispatcher box on behalf of the government, I've always believed that we should offer rise to the highest possible standards of courtesy and respect in responding on behalf of the government to the legitimate questions of the legislature. I'm thoroughly ashamed at not being in my place, and therefore I shall be offering my resignation to the Prime Minister uh, with immediate effect. I do apologize. As you can hear, as he left, people were saying, no, no, don't. And the, the Labour leader in the Lord Scott said, look, it's fine, mate, just apologise. He'd left by that point. She was saying, you don't need to resign. And then later on, Theresa May's supposed to issue mm. a statement saying he did try to resign, but we talked <laughs> him, him We talked him down. That's an extraordinary, wasn't it? He 100% just wanted out, didn't he? He's <laughs> like, yes, my excuse has come. I yeah. felt like he was going to like do a Reggie Perry and would find a pile of his clothes by the banks of the Thames and he disappeared. <laughs> like, he looked like he was like, just leaving the world. Yeah, and it was really, really weird. I think there was kind of this absolute confusion in the chamber and also for all journalists that happened to be watching at the time. Well, Esther Webber from the BBC, yeah, yeah. Who yeah. Is, then, who is, we're a big fan of you, Esther. It was utterly, utterly bizarre. And it, it, I don't think there was anyone that took any sort of pleasure from him going, even if they thought the reason was a bit weird. I think he's yeah. very well liked. He's you know done a lot of stuff about for aid over his career as well. It was very, very odd. It's a wonderful contrast between how... He was acting on the front bench in the Lords and the attitude yeah. of front bench ministers <laughs> in the Commons is slightly different, some might say. Um, let's move on to uh, this week's In Case You Missed It, Kate. Uh, mm. A couple of weeks ago, you talked about how um, the NHS were handing over data about migrants who'd come to immigrants who'd come to seek medical treatment to to the Home Office, basically, to the immigration services. Yeah. There's a big uproar about this because people were actually dying, weren't they? Mm-hmm. But I understand there's been an update. Yeah, so basically there's a memorandum of understanding between the Home Office and the NHS, um, which means the NHS can hand over patient details to Home Office immigration investigators if they think there's a breach of the law. Um, the Select Committee, who heard all the evidence, the Health Select Committee heard all the evidence from people who said people are dying as a result of this policy, um, and they've now written to the NHS to ask them to immediately stop doing it while a full consultation into its impact is carried out. 
Um, the latter's quite strong. Um, they say that it completely undermines patient-doctor relationships, completely undermines trust in the health service, um, and that it needs to uh, needs to stop immediately. And has there been any response to it? Not yet. They okay. only sent it a couple of days right, ago. Okay. So, but it's a, it's yeah. a significant move, isn't it? It's a significant mm. move to yeah, I mean, it's it, it is it's strong. Um, they are sort of not not pulling any punches with it, um, and I think it's the kind of policy, isn't it, where if you public opinion generally, if you read something like that, it's the kind of story that you think, why is this happening? Um, and it's not a great look. The immigration minister, Caroline Noakes, her response was that um, there's a public interest in bringing down immigration, and they have to use any methods in their arsenal, basically, which is. Yeah, I think as we were saying great. when you talked about the story before, that even if people want immigration to come down, you'd hope that they don't want that to be because people are dying because they are too scared to go to the doctor. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for that, Kate. So next week we will have uh, Mr. Paul War back from China. Hooray. When's he coming back? I don't know. Friday? Tomorrow? When are they all coming back? Yeah, Friday? tomorrow. Yeah, right. I think, yeah. I feel like we should be on yeah. top of this a bit yeah. more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Standards well, are gone, haven't they? Fine. We had standards? Nah. Um, thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, if you enjoy what you've listened to, and let's face it, who bloody wouldn't, make sure you go on iTunes and give us a review and a rating because I want to get on that chart. Oof. If there's a chart, you might as well be top of it. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah. At least top 10. It'd be nice to hear. 100? Top to break To break the top 10. <laughs> I want a top 10 podcast in my life. So you listeners, can you get off, get your phone out and review it and rate it and say it's good, please? Thank you. All right? See you next week. Love you. Bye.